Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Just checking if you guys are still there. Welcome here this morning. If you have a Bible uh, on your phone, the actual book, if you want to open up to uh, Jonah. Jonah, it's uh, Jonah's near Obadiah, Micah. It's in the Minor Prophets. You go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, keep going to the right. You'll find Jonah. Joy it is to gather here this morning. I, do, I just, I love too, even as we are singing and even so, say if we you stumble over a lyric, it's like pleasing sound to the Lord. You know, it's like if you get, for those of us with kids, if a kid colors a picture and it's not perfect, if the, the colors come outside of the lines, you're never going to be like, this is, this is terrible. You're like, oh, this is great. Thank you for giving me this. And that's our worship to God, just is it, is it from our heart? Is it, is it real? And, uh, and I just, yeah, just, it was a great time to sing to the Lord this morning. Excited to get into his word here as well. Just question as we get started, do you ever meet people who dress the part but don't act it? Who dress the part but don't act it? And often we see this in sports, some people who have all the gear but can't play. Maybe on the ski or, or snowboard hill who have like the latest fashion, all the most expensive stuff and are like tumbling down the hill. Uh, I once, I owned a Brazilian soccer jersey. Brazil, they've won five World Cups and I wore it around, uh, kind of picked it up in Haiti as a style. And then someone came up to me and wanted to talk to me about Brazil and who's on the team. And I was like, I am not, I don't even really watch soccer. I should take this jersey off, <laughs> actually. Um, and then there's some people, though, who, like, who don't have the gear at all, but who are totally great, great at it and surprise you. And then just think about uh, terms of our faith. There's some people who can say all the right things, who have all the right answers, but actually don't live it out. And there's some who re- wouldn't really be able to articulate much of an understanding of God, the Bible, but they're like, they're walking close to God. And it's real. And this is what we're going to see today as we look at the rest of Jonah chapter 1 here in a moment. There's this contrast between Jonah and the sailors. Like, who has the real faith? Who fears God? And it's actually surprising uh, who it is, I think. And I, and I pray that God's word will be a mirror for each one of us. To our souls, like who are we like, okay, I think maybe I'm more like Jonah. Or I think maybe I'm more like the sailors. And I pray that God would use it. And as we see it, we would be stirred to have our actions match our words and live for God. You just want to bow with me? I'm just going to pray again before we read God's word here this morning. Oh God, I, um, I thank you for the opportunity to open up your scriptures. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take uh, these words that you inspired, that you would speak through me this morning, that you would give clarity, you'd give conviction, Lord, you'd give me unction from you. Oh, Lord, and I pray you'd pierce our hearts with your word. I pray those who are far from you, may they see your kindness and mercy. I pray those, Lord, who maybe who look and talk the part but are not living it, convict us of our sin. 
draw us back to yourself. Oh Lord, we trust that your word will do its work in our hearts and our lives. So Lord, speak through me now for your glory, your honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to stand with me as we read Jonah, we're going to be looking at Jonah 1, 7 to 17. We're going to start in verse 1 just kind of for context. So reading the first chapter of Jonah here. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless his word to our souls here this morning. You can have a seat. I've I've titled this message, God's mercy is for all who fear him. If you're with us a few weeks ago as he went into the start of Jonah, you'll see, of course, he got this call, arise, go to Nineveh. And call out against it is the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Every other prophet's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to be obedient to it. Jonah's like, no, I'm going in the opposite direction. So he gets the word, the call from God. Jonah flees in the opposite direction. And verse 4, the Lord hurled a great storm upon the sea. And so as he goes on this ship, they get into this, this really tight situation 
Everyone's freaking out. Just like, if we can picture it, right? We read the Bible. We read this quickly. We read the whole chapter. This storm is happening. It's increasing. The winds, the waves, everything is happening right now. And that's kind of like what we, what we have going on as we look at verse 7. The storm's raging. They're wondering, why is this happening right now? I want us to see in verses 7 to 10, ask the question, who fears the Lord? Who fears the Lord? As we look at this section in this passage of Scripture, who here fears the Lord? And ask each one of ourselves as we read this Scripture here this morning, as we look at it, do you fear the Lord? So verse 7, they're trying to figure out the sailors. Why is this happening? And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And of course, many of us often cast lots. No, no, we don't really. It's not something we know. So what is casting lots in the Old Testament kind of period? Uh, there's kind of a different ways to describe it. But basically, you could have like a couple of dice having like black and white. And as you roll it, depending on what comes up, it's a yes or a no or a roll again. It was a way to kind of discern uh, what God's will was. We actually see this uh, throughout the Old Testament. It was normal that at that time. In Exodus, we see the priests before the Lord had had kind of some lots that he would cast to like, God, is this your will? We see this in the book of Joshua when uh, as the people were going to go take the land and there was sin that was in the camp of Israel and they weren't victorious and they said, well, who is the sinner? And they cast lots to figure out who that is in Joshua chapter 7. So sometimes it's negative, like for Jonah, for in Joshua. Sometimes it's just positive. We see this actually in the book of Acts. At Acts chapter 1, I can just read it for you. Acts chapter 1, so we know Judas, one of the 12 uh, apostles, after he betrayed Jesus, he went and he killed himself. And they're like, the apostles like, hey, we need someone to replace Judas, someone who has been with us the whole time, the ministry of Jesus, someone who has resurrected, uh, who saw the resurrection happen. And so they grabbed two men, Acts 1.23, and they put forward two Two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, so the guy's got three names, <laughs> and, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So interesting, they, they cast lots to figure out who's going to go into this place. But also interesting, after that time in the New Testament, you don't see again the casting of lots to discern God's will. Because if you know your Bible, Acts chapter 1, what comes after? Acts chapter 2, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in the day of Pentecost. Therefore, everyone who believes in God has the Spirit of God within them. So nowadays, I don't know if you've ever like, I don't know what's God's will, you're not pulling out your lots and casting them. How do we discern God's will? We do it by praying, by seeking godly counsel, and seeking to conform our lives to the word of God. Right? So as you're reading scripture, you're like understanding what God's will is. As you're praying, Lord, give me understanding of your will in my life. And then you're also praying and talking with other godly men and women. That's how we discern God's will now that we have the spirit of God. So in Jonah's time, they cast lots. Our time, if you're a believer, it's through prayers, through God's word, and it's through godly counsel. So they, they cast the lots. Of course, the lot fell on Jonah. 
Going on to verse 8, and then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? They're like, they're getting more information. They're like, okay, the lot fell on you. You're, you're the guilty one. Why? Why is it? They're also trying to discern. They had this, this idea that there were different gods, lowercase gods, for every single thing, for the, a god of the land, a god of the sea, a god of the occupation, a god for a country, a god for maybe a person's last name. They want to find out which god is mad, which god do we need to appease. That's why they're asking so many questions of Jonah. And remember, this is all happening while the storm is nailing the ship. It gets hard. We don't read it with like waves crashing in and winds blowing. But that's what's happening as they're like, okay, the lot fell on you. Maybe they're asking very quickly these questions. We need to find out how to appease the God who's angry right now. Jonah, like what, what's, what are your answers to these questions? In verse 9, interesting what Jonah answers. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's interesting, he doesn't disclose his occupation. He's like, actually, I'm a prophet of the Lord who's running in the opposite direction. He, I guess he did actually tell him that. Maybe not that he was a prophet, though. But he says, I'm a Hebrew, a name for the Jewish people. A one commentator, Kevin Youngblood, says this, Hebrew was a typical designation foreigners applied to the Israelites. And thus, Israelites often used in self-designation when conversing with foreigners, people who are non-Jewish. Maybe they wouldn't know Israelites. They're like, I'm a Hebrew. They're like, okay, maybe they've heard the name Hebrew before. Maybe even as he said, I'm a Hebrew. Maybe, hey, they heard in the past how God miraculously took the Hebrews out of Egypt and decimated Egypt and brought them into the land of Canaan. Uh, maybe 700 or so years previous to this time. Maybe they had heard about King David or King Solomon, uh, the kings of the Israelites, kings of the Hebrews, and how they ruled from Egypt to the Euphrates River for a time. That may be well known in that time. Wherever it was, they still, they heard, they understood what Jonah had said. But interesting, Jonah also said, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord. Just so he, Jonah just confesses himself, I fear the Lord. Anytime we see again the Lord in capital in your Bibles, if you have it, it means Yahweh. It's a personal name of the covenant-keeping God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the self-existent one. And what does he say about him? I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Kind of gives a little more detail of the God that he serves, the God that he worships. And Jonah's response is a true statement that challenges their idea of God and who's in control. Right? The sailors all had many different gods for those places. They had a God of the sea. They had a God of the land. They had a God who made the heavens. And Jonah's like, no, I serve, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So even in his statement, he's like, actually, my God is above all other gods. He says that to them. It's interesting. So that's his confession to them. Jonah says, I fear the Lord. Look at the reaction of the sailors, verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You notice in verse 5, the the mariners were, or the mariners, sorry, were afraid as the storm started coming on. They were all afraid. Now they heard Jonah, who fears the Lord, they, and who is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now they're exceedingly afraid. So it doesn't yet maybe say that they fear the Lord, but all of a sudden 
Their, their fear is growing. It's ever increasing right now. So just notice that is happening. And then the men were afraid where Jonah wasn't. There's this contrast we need to see that where the sailors are crying out to the Lord or they're crying out to whoever they can. Someone help us. Jonah's not crying out to anyone. But Jonah says he fears the Lord. Again, who fears the Lord? Jonah, God says go. He says no. God gives him a word. He doesn't speak it. The sailors... Like, just look at the reaction to what Jonah has to say. What is this that you have done? Apparently, one commentator points out every time that phrase appears in the Hebrew Bible, it's always kind of of disgust of some sort of moral failure. Every time we have seen it in the Bible, they're just shocked. Like, you serve the Lord, the Lord who you're fleeing from? They're exceedingly afraid. Who fears the Lord? Maybe I just want to just kind of pause there for a moment and just pull it out. What is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? If you want to turn with me to Proverbs, have a finger in Jonah. Proverbs kind of in the middle of your Bible, to the right of the Psalms. Proverbs chapter 1. Just thinking, what is the fear of the Lord? As we're thinking, who fears the Lord? Proverbs 1 verse 7. It just says at the beginning of Proverbs, words of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It doesn't say what it is, but it's like if you don't have it, it's saying you do not have knowledge. If you do have the fear of the Lord, you have knowledge. Proverbs chapter 2 is kind of this call to search for it. Search for wisdom. My son, if you receive my words, Proverbs 2 verse 1, and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, what's being said over and over again, like you're looking for it, you're calling for it, you're seeking out wisdom, you're calling for guidance. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So you got to go after, you got to go after God. And then you will get the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is holy reverence. It's like being put in our proper place. The scripture refers to God being the potter, us being the clay. Or God, the creator, we are the created. And if you have a fear of God, you, you get that. If you don't have a fear of God, you're like, no, no, I'm the one in charge. But a, a holy fear of God, like God's in his proper place, you're in your proper place. But you need to search for the fear of the Lord, as in search to get to know God. And as you get to know him, you'll increase in your holy reverence for him. It says this in Proverbs 3, 7 of the fear of the Lord. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. If you, if you fear God, you will turn away from evil. You can't say, yes, yes, I fear God and continue to walk in a way that's wicked and not pleasing to him. It's actually contradictory. Notice what it just says after. I just want to point it out. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones to fear God and turn from evil. Like it's a great blessing. It's like the life we are meant to live and meant to walk in. By fearing God, a knowledge of God is a life lived in light of who God is. You're like, how can I honor God? How can I please him above all? 
just want to point this out again. The fear of the Lord, it affects our actions. And ultimately, the fear of God is proven or disproved by how we live. Right? We can make true statements. We can say things that are totally true, and then our lives can say the exact opposite. I think like Jonah. He says he fears the Lord. I'm going to, as we pull out, his actions actually say otherwise. So the fear of the Lord is an active thing. Friends, the fear of the Lord, it affects where we go, what we consume, like what we'll put in front of our eyes, what we'll allow to reign in our heart, who we spend time with, what we do on Saturday evenings. If we fear the Lord, it'll affect that. The fear of the Lord will affect of how we act when no one else is with us, or so we think. God is always with us. But the fear of the Lord will affect like, hey, no one's here with me. I'm still going to act in a way that's pleasing to God because I fear him. So just a question, do you fear the Lord? If someone watched your life for the next week, by your actions, would they say, yes, this person fears the Lord? If you can say, yes, praise the Lord, walk it out, continue to grow in your understanding of God. I'm always praying, Lord, give me an increasing fear of you, increasing reverence of you. If you say, no, no, I, I know I don't have a healthy fear of God, open up the Bible, get to know him, pray that God would give you that fear of him, that reverence for him. So just in this passage, going back to Jonah, Jonah claims he fears the Lord, and the sailors are exceedingly afraid. They're not claiming to fear the Lord. Who fears the Lord here in this passage? Verses 11 to 15, I want us to see the fear of the Lord is shown in our actions. What I kind of just spoke to, now we're going to see pulled out here in this passage. The fear of the Lord is shown in our actions. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. They're like, what should we do? Okay, you, we know you're fleeing from the Lord. Okay, you, you serve the Lord or you fear him. Um, what should we do? Okay, if you know this God, how do we appease him? You, you say you're a follower of him. What, what, what must we do to kind of calm this storm? Right, because every lowercase God that they had, there was ways in which they had to please him. That's what they're just asking Jonah. They have no idea. They do not know the Lord. What do we do? Verse 12, Jonah's response. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Again, the waves are just crashing in. It's getting a little crazier. The waves are going more and more. Maybe the, the boat's rocking more and more. It's getting more intense. As we read it quickly, we don't maybe feel that. But what does Jonah says? Hurl me into the sea. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. He wants death. This one who says he fears the Lord, who's fleeing from God's call in his life, he doesn't cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me. He's like, yeah, throw me into the sea. He's still not willing to be obedient at this point. This great reversal is happening in the story of Jonah, right? Jonah called to go to Nineveh, preach to the foreigners, non-Jewish people, this message. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. Goes in the opposite direction. Now on the boat, Jonah, a follower of the Lord, tells these foreigners to throw him into the water. Instead of going to the nations and speaking a message, now he has the nations right with him and telling the nations to throw him in. He's disobeying God. 
Verse 13, the, the sailor's response, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the storm got crazier and crazier. I just, just a challenge to you guys, use the word tempestuous in this next week in a sentence and see if it flows uh, from your mouth if you're in a, a certain situation. So it's just like the, the storm's just increasing in measure. But because the sailors, I believe, actually feared the Lord. They wouldn't have articulated that yet. They're like, oh, throw you into the sea? They're like, ah, no, we're going to do our best to try to get back to dry land. We're going to do anything it takes. We're not going to throw an innocent person into the water. But as they're doing that, as they're rowing, it's getting worse and worse. It's getting more and more intense upon the sea. Look at verse 14. The sailor's response. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. I think we just keep seeing here the sailors, they have more faith and humble interaction with God than Jonah. If, I don't know if you notice, there's this verb of calling. In verse 2, God said to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. That was Jonah's calling on his life to go and call out. And then as the storm hit, or sorry, in, in verse 6, as the storm's hitting, the captain goes to Jonah, and he says to him, arise, call out to your God. So Jonah's first told by the Lord to go and call out, and then the, the captain wakes him up and says, hey, call out to your God. And we don't have a recording of Jonah doing that, calling out to the Lord in the midst of all this storm. But we do have in verse 14, surprisingly, the ones who call out to the Lord are the sailors, are the pagans, are the ones who do not know him. It's amazing. In, in the, at the first time they called out in verse 5, they were just calling out to their gods just broadly like anyone. Is there anyone listening? Someone just help us. Now as they're learning more, verse 14, they go straight to the Lord, Yahweh. And they're calling out to him. It's listed three times. Like, don't miss it. They're calling out to God, the creator of heaven and earth. Friends, I think that you're starting to see who fears the Lord. Fearing God will cause us to call out to him, not to cower, but turn in reverence. And can we not all say, amen, it's good in severe trials and hardship to call out to God? Like, where else are you going to turn to? We just need to learn when times are calm, when things are going good, we continue to turn out to him and call out to him and give thanks. But is not this the day and age in which we live that actually I think more people are calling out to the Lord, more people are searching, more people are going through trials and saying, what, what's happening? Who do we believe in? Why are we here? And may we be present when those people are calling out and asking those questions to point them to the Lord. So we see the sailors seemingly turning, confessing with their lips, calling out to the Lord. And verse 15, in response to what Jonah asked them to do, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Right? Can you picture it? Was it like one, two, three? Or was it on one that they just, they hurled him in? There's a rabbi 
Eliezer, he kind of describes it like this. They put Jonah in the water up to his knees and the storm stops. Then they take him out, starts up again. Next, they put him in the water up to his belly button, then to his neck. Each time the storm stops, but starts up again when they pull him up out of the water. I don't know why he came out with that story, because it says they hurled him into the water. It's a great story, but they picked him up, they hurled him in, and this word hurl is actually, it's pretty important in terms of the story of Jonah. If you look at uh, verse, verse 4, what did God do in response to Jonah fleeing from him? The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. His disobedience. What the sailors do is the storm hit, and it felt like they were going to crash. They took the stuff, the cargo in the ship, and they hurled it into the sea. And now we see Jonah in his disobedience getting hurled into the sea. So what do we see here? We see God's sovereignty. He's in control of all things. As God hurled a great wind on the sea so that Jonah in his fleeing would be hurled into the sea. So that Jonah would have a change of heart, that he'd be broken, he'd become obedient. And also that the sailors would be undone and call upon the name of the Lord. Friends, we can just see this in the life of Jonah. God can work through us and use us, or he can work despite us. But God's will will be accomplished. So it's like, are we going like, to fall in line with God's will and be obedient to it? Or is God like, I'm going to accomplish it anyways? Jonah was hurled into the sea. And what does it say after that? And the sea ceased from its raging. But the sailors knew they didn't appease the gods of the sea, but the one who controls the sea and the dry land, the God of heaven, who is over all. God brought the storm. God stilled the sea. Again, ask that question, who fears the Lord here? Jonah's the one who confessed he feared the Lord. By his actions, he showed he didn't. The sailors, at this point, the next verse they do, had not confessed that, but by their actions... It's seemingly that they feared the Lord. I want you to see in verse 16, God has mercy on those who are far from him. That was his plan, that is his plan. God has mercy on those who are far from him. Look at verse 16. After they throw Jonah into the water, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's, it's amazing these pagan sailors. And what I mean by pagan is they didn't have an understanding of the true God. They were non-Jewish. And now it says they fear the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's amazing. God has mercy on those who fear him. There's a question, like, did they actually offer animal sacrifices? Did they have animals there? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they just had like food and drink offerings that they poured out to the Lord. And maybe they just made promises that in the future we will go to Jerusalem. We will seek out those who know the Lord and offer sacrifices to him. But it seems like there is a confession from their lips. There is some, seems to be this turning. It's similar to what is said in Psalm 116, verses 17 to 18. Let's read that for us. Psalm 116, verses 17 to 18. 
The writer writes this, O Lord, I'm your servant. Oh, sorry, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Maybe it was just offering thanksgiving. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Maybe they just made vows. Hey, in the future we get to dry land, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And we're going to give this to the Lord. And in those times, like, what was that meant? Vows and offerings? That's worship. That's worship. Can we see this, that reverence leads to worship? Like, if you, if you fear God, then you'll joyfully gather with his people to sing songs to him. If you're like, man, I reverence God, then you'll want to worship him. If you're like, I don't really want to worship him, then I'd question, well, do you reverence him? Do you fear him? But so we see here these, these pagan, non-Jewish sailors who were early calling out to anyone. Now they feared the Lord. They're worshiping Yahweh. Amazing. Reverence leads to worship. In their trials, they called out to the Lord. Just a question for everyone here. Have you ever cried out, going through a hard time, God, if you just get me through this, I will serve you. I will do this for you. I will give that to you. Have you ever been through that? And have you kept your promises that you've made to the Lord? When times get, you know, that's the thing. Hard times, we can say all types of things, and it gets calm again. Like, okay, no, sometime in the future, Lord. But I, we don't know what happens to the sailors after, but they've made these vows, they've made these promises. But maybe for you, if you're hearing that, if, if you're remembering now something that you said, yes, Lord, if you save me out of this, if you allow me to get through it, I'll, I'll serve you. Maybe you remember that right now and walk in obedience to him. Maybe question, maybe, well, maybe you know the story. Like, what about Jonah? He was thrown into the sea. Verse 17, I just want to just note this, and we'll get back to kind of the main point. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Notice that the Lord appointed, we're going to see that word used often in, in the rest of this book. God was in charge. A great fish. Often we think, okay, was that a whale? That's the biggest thing we can think of. It's pointed out to me, it could have actually been a great sea creature, great sea monster, kind of dinosaur-like. We'll explore that a little bit more next week. But just know that as Jonah was thrown into the water, God still looked after him in God's mercy. Not Jonah's obedience. Jonah's fleeing. He he didn't even want to obey. He didn't cry out to the Lord. God in his mercy was watching out for him. We'll look at that more next week. But I want to come back kind of to the main point. Who's this story about? Is it about Jonah's disobedience, his running? I think this section is like, who is the one who fears the Lord? And it's shocking. It's not Jonah. It's not the prophet of the Lord. It's the pagan sailors. These non-Jewish people came to a knowledge of God. Friends, is that not God's heart? God's desire? That those who are far from him would know him, would trust him, would worship him. I just want to think this big picture for a second. Like this is a main thrust of the Bible, of the Old Testament. We see in, in Genesis chapter 12, let's read it for you. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. 
And where does God call Abraham out of? He calls him out of Ur of Chaldees, lower, the lower part of modern-day Iraq, where he was a worshiper of the sun god, Ur. This pagan person, God calls Abraham. He's like, I'm calling you to myself. Because he calls those who are far from him and has mercy on them. He says to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And from that one man became one nation, Israel. And Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations, a blessing to many, to make the name of the Lord known. It's talked about often throughout the Old Testament. I just want to point out one place in the prophets. Isaiah 60 is written after, a little after the time of Jonah. Isaiah 60 says of Israel, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. I just want to take your attention to verse 9, Isaiah 60. For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar. The ships of Tarshish are even going to come and hope in the Lord. It's interesting, but we don't always see Israel doing that. Even we see in, in Jonah, God calling the nations. Jonah's to go to Nineveh. God calling the sailors. It happens in spite of Jonah, not because of him, but God had a plan. That was his plan. That is his plan, right? To call people who are far from him to himself. But it doesn't really happen, we see in the, in the Bible, until the one came of whom the prophets spoke of, Jesus Christ. I was trying to draw your attention to one story in the Gospels, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Thinking of how God calls those who are far away to himself. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And when Jesus, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. I just want to just point out the similarities. He's in a boat, there's a storm. There's dissimilarities. He's obedient to God. He was asleep, just like Jonah. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Notice this, though. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Just as God brought the storm and stilled the waters in Jonah, showing his sovereign control, Jesus on the Sea of Galilee stilled the winds and sea, showing his divinity, his sovereign control. Unlike Jonah, though, Jesus was faithful to his mission to call the nations to God, and he did it by, by, by dying on the cross for our sins. For the sins of those who are far from him, our rebellion against God, instead of like, yes, creator, created, having that, we're like, no, we're on top, we're reigning supreme, we'll do what we want, and we sin against God. But Jesus, to call the nations to himself, me and you, sinners who are far from him, he took our sins, he took our rebellion upon himself on the cross, 
and died, was buried and rose again. And God has mercy on those who are far from him, but see their need and repent and turn and trust in Jesus Christ. Right, Jesus' ministry, he called the tax collectors and the prophets and those who are on the outskirts of society. He said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the unrighteous. We see that in Jesus' ministry. In Jonah, we see God's exceedingly great mercy. In Jonah 1, to the sailors, even to a prophet running from his calling and disobedience, yet God uses it to draw those far from him to himself. We see in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for sinners, for me and for you, to bring those far from God to himself. Just question, like, is that you? Do you feel, are you far from God? How do you then turn and have the fear of the Lord and trust in him, my friends, but it's, it's that turning, it's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and saying, That's, you're going to be Lord of my life, you're going to be in control. God, you're the creator, I'm the created. And I'm coming underneath your authority, I'm believing in Jesus, and you can be forgiven. That's what God wants. He wants those who are far away to be drawn near, to believe in him, to be forgiven. That's a lovely thing. Like, God, he's so kind. He's so merciful. Maybe some sitting here, you don't know what I've done. You know what I've been through. God does, and Jesus died for you. And you can believe in him, and you can receive God's great mercy today. So I don't know, as we look at this story, you see the sailors and you see Jonah. Like, who do you feel like you match up with? Maybe you feel like you match up with the sailors at first, like you don't know, you're just calling out on anyone. Maybe increasingly you're getting to know who the Lord is. Or maybe some of you, that is your story. You're trusting in Jesus right now. You're like, yeah, I was so far from him, but in his mercy, he grabbed hold of me and he's forgiven me and he's changing me. That's my story though, man, tell someone. There's so many people that need to know that who are far away from the Lord, but they don't know. You're like, yes, yes, I was once there. Let me tell you my story, how I came to faith in Jesus Christ, how he's changed me. Or maybe some, as we've been reading this text, as we've been looking at it, maybe you're like, I'm actually more like Jonah. Man, I know the right things. I say the right things. But in my heart, I'm, I don't fear the Lord. You can ask God for forgiveness for his exceedingly great mercy. Confess where, we, where we're, like we're not following him, where we're, our, our words are not matching up with our lives. And I pray for all of us that we would pray for an increasing fear of God, increasing reverence of who God is. Man, may we know him more. God's mercy is for those who fear him. The Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land has given us mercy and forgiven our rebellion against him. Praise the Lord. He is so good and so kind. I pray you take that to heart today. May you bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I thank you for your kindness, your mercy in our lives to Open up your scriptures. I thank you for Jesus Christ, uh, how he died for the nations, how he died for me, he died for us. Oh, Lord, forgive us where we turn our own ways. Forgive us in the areas where we think we have control or we're just making a mess. 
Oh, Lord, change us. Increase our reverence for you. Lord, I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts. Again, that which is from you, may we remember, may we walk in. That which is from me, may it fall to the side. Continue to minister to us, even through this last song we finished with, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.